Chapter 16, Part 1 A Description of Heart Purity Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8 The holy God, who is of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity, Habakkuk 1, 13, calls here for purity of heart. To those who are adorned with this jewel, God promises a glorious and joyful vision of Himself. They shall see God. Two things are to be explained, the nature of purity and the subject of purity. 1. The nature of purity. Purity is a sacred, refined thing. It stands diametrically opposed to whatever defiles. We must distinguish between the various kinds of purity. First, there is a primitive purity that is in God originally and essentially, just as light is in the sun. Holiness is the glory of the Godhead. Glorious in holiness, Exodus 15, 11. God is the pattern and example of all holiness. Second, there is a created purity. Holiness is in the angels and was once in Adam. Adam's heart did not have the slightest spot or trace of impurity. We call that wine pure that has no sophistication, and we call that gold pure that has no impurities mingled with it. Adam's holiness was like that. It was like the wine that comes from the grape that has no mixture. But this is not to be found on earth. We must go to heaven for it. Third, there is an evangelical purity. This is a type of purity in which grace is mingled with some sin, like gold in the ore, like air in the twilight, like wine that has a dash in it, like fine cloth with a coarse strip of fabric, like Nebuchadnezzar's image that was part of silver and part of clay. Daniel 2.35. God calls this mixture purity in a gospel sense, as a face may be said to be fair that has some freckles in it. Where there is a study of purity and a loathing of ourselves because of our impurity, this is what is meant to be pure in heart. By pure in heart, some understand it to mean chastity, and others sincerity, Psalm 32, 2. But I suppose purity here is to be taken in a larger sense for the several kinds and degrees of holiness. They are said to be pure who are consecrated people having the oil of graces poured upon them. This purity is much mistaken. Civility is not purity. A person may be clothed with moral virtues such as justice, prudence, and temperance, yet go to hell. Professing to follow Christ is not purity. A person may have a name to live, yet be dead. Revelation 3, 1. He may be swept by civility and adorned by a profession of faith yet the devil may dwell in the house. The blazing comet is not a star. The hypocrite's tongue may be silver, yet his heart may be stone. Purity consists in two things, one, rectitude of mind, valuing holiness in the judgment, Psalm 119, 30, and two, conformity of will, embracing holiness in the desires, Psalm 119, 97. A pure soul is cast into the mold of holiness. Holiness is a blood that runs in his veins. 2. The Subject of Purity The subject is the heart. 
pure in heart. Purity of heart does not exclude purity of life any more than the pureness of the fountain excludes the pureness of the stream. It is called purity of heart because this is the main thing in Christianity, and there can be no purity of life without it. A Christian's great care should be to keep the heart pure, just as one would especially preserve the spring from being poisoned. In a duel, a man will primarily guard and protect his heart, and a wise Christian keeps his heart pure above all things. Be careful that the love of sin does not get in there lest it prove mortal. Above all things, Christians should breathe after heart purity, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 3 9. Justification causes our happiness, and sanctification demonstrates it. Reasons for Purity Purity is something called for in Scripture. Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 It's not only the minister who urges you to be holy, but God Himself calls for it. What would the holy God do with unholy servants? Purity must be worked in us because of the filthy and cursed condition we are in. We are a lump of clay and sin mingled together. Sin not only blinds us, but it defiles us. It is called filthiness. James 1.21. To show how filthy a thing it is, it is compared to a plague, 1 Kings 8.38, to spots, Deuteronomy 32.5, to vomit, 2 Peter 2.22, to an infant polluted in blood, Ezekiel 16.6, and to a menstruous cloth. Isaiah 30.22, which, as Jerome said, was the most defiling thing under the law. All the legal warnings that God appointed were only to put people in mind of their loathsomeness before they were washed in the blood of Christ. If all the evils in the world were put together, and their essence strained out, they could not make anything as filthy and polluted as sin does. A sinner is a devil in human form. When Moses' rod was turned into a serpent, he fled from it. Exodus 4 3. If God would open people's eyes and show them their corruption and damnable spots, they would be afraid and run from themselves as from serpents. This shows what need we have of purity. When grace comes, it washes off this hellish filth. It turns ravens into swans. It makes those who are as dark as hell to become as white as snow. We need to be made pure because none except the pure in heart are interested in the covenant of grace. Covenanted people have been sprinkled with clean water. Ezekiel 36.25 Until we are sprinkled in this way, we have nothing to do with the new covenant, and by consequence with the new Jerusalem. If a will is made only to certain people who have certain qualifications, no one can come in for a part except those who have such qualifications. God has made a will and covenant that He will be our God, and He will give a part in heaven only to those who are purified people having had the clean water sprinkled upon them. Until then, we have nothing to do with God or mercy. Purity is the goal of our election. 
He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Ephesians 1, 4. We were not chosen because of our holiness, but we were chosen to holiness. Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8, 29. God predestines us to Christ's image. That image consists in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24. Until you are holy, you cannot show any sign of election upon you, but rather you show the devil's brand upon you. Purity is the goal of our redemption. If we could have gone to heaven in our sins, Christ would not have needed to have died. Why did he shed his blood except to redeem us from our vain conversation? 1 Peter 1.18. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Titus 2.14. Christ shed his blood to wash off our filth. The cross was both an altar and a laver. Jesus died not only to save us from wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, but also to save us from sin, Matthew 1.21. Out of his side came water, which signifies our cleansing, as well as blood, which signifies our justification, 1 John 5.6. The truth is that if the head would be pure and not the rest of the body, it would make the body of Christ hideous. Why Purity Must Be Primarily in the Heart The heart must be pure because, if it is not, we differ nothing from a Pharisaic purity. The holiness of the Pharisees consisted mainly in externals. Theirs was an outside purity. They never took care of the inside of the heart. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion. Matthew 23, 25. And ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. Matthew 23, 27. The Pharisees were good only on the surface. They were whited over, but were not white. They were like a rotten post laid in red color, like a nice-looking chimney-piece that was fancy on the outside, but inside was nothing but soot. Salvian complained that these hypocrites had Christ in their mouths, but to no purpose. We must go further. Be pure in heart, like the king's daughter, who is all-glorious within. Psalm 45, 13. Or else ours is only a Pharisaic purity. As Christ says, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20. The heart must especially be kept pure because the heart is the main seat or place of God's residence. God dwells in the heart. He takes up the heart for his own lodging. Isaiah 57.15, Ephesians 3.17. Therefore it must be pure and holy. A king's palace must be kept from defilement, especially where others enter his presence. How holy should that place be? 
If the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19, then the heart is the holy of holies. Oh, take care not to defile the room where God is to come. Let that room be washed with holy tears. The heart must especially be pure because it is the heart that sanctifies all we do. If the heart is holy, all is holy. Our inclinations will be holy, and our duties will be holy. The altar sanctifies the gift. Matthew 23:19. The heart is the altar that sanctifies the offering. The Romans kept their springs from being poisoned. The heart is the spring of all our actions. Let us keep this spring from poison. Be pure in heart. The beauty that sets apart a soul in God's eye is purity of heart. You who are beautiful outwardly are only a spiritual leper until you are pure in heart. God is in love with the pure heart, for he sees his own image drawn there. Holiness is a beam of God. It is the angels' glory. They are pure and undefiled spirits. If you take away purity from an angel, he is no longer an angel but a devil. You who are pure in heart have the angel's glory shining in you. You have the embroidery and workmanship of the Holy Spirit upon you. The pure heart is God's paradise where he delights to walk. It is his lower heaven. The dove delights in the purest air. The Holy Spirit, who descended in the likeness of a dove, Matthew 3:16, delights in the purest soul. God says of the pure in heart what he says of Zion, This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell. Psalm 132:14. God loves the most beautiful complexion. The pure in heart is Christ's bride, dressed and adorned with the jewels of holiness. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes. Song of Solomon 4, 9. Thine eyes refers to your graces. As a chain of pearl, I have drawn my heart to you. Of all hearts, God loves the pure heart best. You who clothe yourself by the mirror of the word and beautify the hidden man of the heart, 1 Peter 3, 4, are most precious in God's eyes, even though you may be as bleary-eyed as Leah, Genesis 29, 17, and as lame as Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel 4, 4. For being pure in heart, you are the mirror of beauty. You may say, Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, Isaiah 49, 5. How may this raise the esteem of purity? This is a beauty that never fades. It makes God Himself fall in love with us. If we must be pure in heart, then we must not rest solely in outward purity. Civility is not sufficient. A swine may be washed, yet it is still a swine. Civility only washes a person, but grace changes him. Civility, like a star, may shine in the eyes of the world, but it differs as much from purity as the crystal differs from a diamond. Civility is merely like scattering flowers on a dead corpse. A person may be wonderfully instructed, yet only be a tame devil. How many people have made civility their savior? Morality, as well as sin, may condemn a person. 
a vessel may be sunk carrying gold as well as manure. Observe two things. 1. The civil person, although he will not commit flagrant sins, is not sensible of heart sins. He does not discern the law in his members. Romans 7.23. He is not troubled by unbelief, hardness of heart, or vain thoughts. He abhors jail sins, but not gospel sins. And 2. The civil person has an aching tooth at religion. His heart rises against holiness. The snake is of a fine color, but it has a deadly bite. The civil person is pleasing to look at, but has a secret hostility against the ways of God. He hates grace as much as sin. Zeal is as abhorrent to him as uncleanness. Therefore, civility is not to be rested in. The heart must be pure. God wants Aaron to wash the inwards of the sacrifice. Leviticus 9.14 Civility only washes the outside, but the inwards must be washed. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let us put ourselves on trial to learn whether we are pure-hearted or not. I will first show the signs of an impure heart and then of a pure heart. Signs of an impure heart An ignorant heart is an impure heart. To be ignorant of sin or Christ argues impurity of heart. Nahash the Ammonite wanted to enter into covenant with the men of Jabesh-Gilead so he could thrust out their right eyes. 1 Samuel 11.2 Satan lets people keep their left eyes. They are quick-sighted enough in worldly knowledge, but the right eye of spiritual knowledge is quite blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 Ignorance is Satan's stronghold. Acts 26.18 The demons are bound in chains of darkness. Jude 1 6, as are all ignorant people. It is impossible that an ignorant heart would be good. That the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. Proverbs 19 2. For anyone to say that although their mind is ignorant, yet their heart is good, they may as well say that although they are blind, yet their eyes are good. In the law, when the plague of leprosy was in a man's head, the priest was to pronounce him unclean. Leviticus 13. This is the case of an ignorant man. The leprosy is in his head. He is unclean. The heart that is a dungeon cannot be very pure. Grace cannot reign where ignorance reigns. An ignorant person cannot have any love to God. He cannot love that which he does not know. 1 John 4.20. He cannot have any faith. Knowledge must usher in faith. Psalm 9.10. He cannot worship God properly. John 4.22. Although he may worship the true God, yet he does so in a wrong manner. Ignorance is the root of sin. Blindness leads to lasciviousness. Ephesians 4.18-19. Proverbs 7.23. Ignorance is the mother of pride. Revelation 3.17. It is the cause of error, 2 Timothy 3, 7. What's even worse, it is a willing ignorance. It is one thing to be ignorant, it is another thing to be unwilling to know. Many people are in love with ignorance. They hug their disease, 
Job 21, 14, 2 Peter 3, 5. Ignorant minds are impure. There is no going to heaven in the dark. An impure heart sees no need of purity. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Revelation 3, 17. Not to be aware of a disease is worse than the disease. You might hear a sick person say, I am well, I feel fine. There are some who need no repentance. Luke 15, 7. Some sinners are too well to be cured. Heart purity is as great a wonder to the natural man as the new birth was to Nicodemus. John 3, 4. It is sad to think how many continue confidently and are ready to bless themselves, never suspecting their condition until it's too late. He who regards iniquity in his heart has an impure heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. In the original, it is, if I look upon sin, that is, if I look at it with a lustful look. Regarding sin is inconsistent with heart purity. What does it mean to regard iniquity? To regard iniquity is to indulge in sin. It is when sin not only lives in us, but when we live in sin. Some people will leave all their sins except one. Jacob would let all his sons go except Benjamin. Satan can hold a person by one sin. The fowler holds the bird firmly enough by a wing or a claw. Others hide their sins like one who closes up his shop windows but continues his trade indoors. Many people deal with their sins as Moses' mother dealt with her son. She hid him in the ark of bulrushes as if she had completely left him, but her eye was still upon him, and she ended up becoming his nurse. Exodus 2 9. In the same way, many people seem to leave their sins, but they only hide them from the eyes of others. Their heart still goes after them, and at last they nurse their sins and feed them. To regard iniquity is to delight in iniquity. Even though a child of God sins, yet he does not take satisfaction in sin. What I hate, that do I. Romans 7.15 However, impure souls make a recreation of sin. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 Never did anyone feed with more delight on food he loves than a wicked person does upon the forbidden fruit. This delight shows that the will is in the sin, and the will is the rule and measure of the deed. To regard iniquity is to make provision for sin. Make not provision for the flesh. Romans 13.14 Sinners provide for their lusts. It's a metaphor taken from those who make provision for a family or feed a camp of soldiers. The Greek word here signifies projecting and forecasting in the mind how to bring something about. It is to make provision for the flesh when one studies to satisfy the flesh and provide fuel for lust. Amnon made provision for the flesh, 2 Samuel 13, 5. He pretended to be sick, and his sister Tamar was to be his nurse. She must cook and prepare his food for him. 
By these means he defiled the breasts of her virginity. Ezekiel 23, 3. It is sad when someone's concern is not to follow his conscience, but to satisfy lust. To regard iniquity is to give it respect and consideration, as Lot showed respect to the angels. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you. Genesis 19, 2. When the Spirit of God comes, he is repulsed and grieved. But when temptation comes, the sinner bows to it, sets open the gates, and says, Turn in, my Lord. This is to regard iniquity. The person is said to regard sin who does not regard the threatenings of God against sin. We read of seven thunders that uttered their voices. Revelation 10.3. How many thunders in Scripture utter their voice against sin? God shall wound the hairy scalp of such an one as goeth on still in his trespasses. Psalm 68.21. This is a thundering verse of Scripture, but sinners do not fear this thunder. Even if a minister comes as a Bonerges, Mark 3.17, clothed with the spirit of Elijah, and denounces all the curses of God against people's sins, they will not regard it. They can laugh at the shaking of a spear. Job 41.29. This is to regard iniquity, and it argues an impure heart. An unbelieving heart is an impure heart. The Bible specifically calls it an evil heart of unbelief. Hebrews 3.12. An unbelieving heart is evil in the highest degree. It is full of the poison of hell. Unbelief is the abhorrent medley of all sins, the root and receptacle of sin. Unbelief is a God-offending sin. It basically accuses God of lying. It calls in question His power, Psalm 78.19, mercy and truth. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. 1 John 5.10. Can a greater offense be cast upon the God of glory? It makes us trust to second causes, which is setting the creature in the place of God. Asa, in his disease, sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. 2 Chronicles 16.12. He relied more on the physician than upon God. Saul looked to the witch of Endor. What a high offense to lean upon the reed and neglect the rock of ages! Unbelief hardens the heart. These two sins are linked together. He upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Mark 16.14. Unbelief breeds the stone of the heart. He who does not believe God's threatenings will never fear him. He who does not believe God's promises will never love him. What is said of the Leviathan is true of the unbeliever. His heart is as firm as a stone. Job 41.24. Unbelief first pollutes the heart and then hardens it. Unbelief breeds hypocrisy. Atheists do not believe that God is a jealous God and will call them to account. That's why they put on a mask of religion and are facetious saints, so that they may earnestly play the devil. 2 Timothy 3, 4-5. They pretend to worship God, 
but self is the idol they really worship. Like the crew on a barge, they look one way and row another. The unbeliever is the greatest hypocrite. Unbelief causes the fear of men. As Virgil said, fear is proof of a base-born soul. Fear is a debasing thing. It unmans a man. It makes him afraid to be good. The fearful person studies compliance rather than conscience. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Proverbs 29:25. What made Abraham be evasive? David pretend to be insane, and Peter deny Christ? Was it not their fear? From where does fear spring except from unbelief? That's why the Bible joins them together. The fearful and unbelieving. Revelation 21:8. Unbelief is the root of apostasy. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3:12. What is the reason those who once seemed zealous now despise prophesying? 1 Thessalonians 5:20 and stop praying with their families. Is it not their unbelief? They do not believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6 Unbelief is the cause of apostasy. In the Greek, apistia, unbelief, leads to apostasia, apostasy. If unbelief breeds and stirs up so much sin, then the unbelieving heart must necessarily be an impure heart. A covetous heart is an impure heart. The earth is the most impure element. The purity of the heart lies in the spirituality of it, and what is more opposite to spirituality than earthiness? Covetousness is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 As the Roman poet Virgil wrote, To what cost do you not drive mortal hearts, you accursed lust for gold? Covetousness is the root of discontent. Why does anyone complain about their condition except that they think they do not have enough? The Greek word for covetousness signifies an immoderate desire of getting. Covetousness is a dry edema, and because the thirst is not satisfied, therefore the heart agonizes through discontent and impatience. Covetousness is the root of theft. Achan's covetous character made him steal that wedge of gold that served to tear asunder his soul from God. Joshua 7:21. Covetousness is the root of treason. It made Judas betray Christ. What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? Matthew 26:15. Absalom's covetousness made him attempt to pluck the crown from his father's head. He who is a Damas will soon prove to be a Judas. 2 Timothy 4.10. Men shall be covetous. 2 Timothy 3.2. And it follows traitors. 2 Timothy 3.4. Where covetousness is in the premise, treason will be in the conclusion. Covetousness is the root of murder. Why did Ahab stone Naboth to death except to possess his vineyard? 1 Kings 21.13. Covetousness has made many swim to the crown in blood. Can the heart be pure when the hands are full of blood? 
Isaiah 1.15. Covetousness is the root of perjury. Men shall be covetous, and it follows that they will also be truce-breakers. 2 Timothy 3.2-3. For love of money, some people will make a false oath and break a just oath. He who lives as a Midas will die as a perjurer. Covetousness is the root of sorcery. Why do people join with the devil except for money? They study the black art for yellow gold. Alexander VI pawned his soul to the devil for a popedom. It is the root of fraud and deception in business. Those who desire to be overrich will overreach. It is the covetous hand that holds false weights. Amos 8 5. Covetousness is the root of bribery and injustice. It makes the criminal court great places of robbery, as Augustine said. At Athens, causes were bought and sold for money. It is the cause of uncleanness. Scripture mentions the hire of a whore, Deuteronomy 23:18. For money, both conscience and chastity are up for sale. Covetousness is the root of idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry, Colossians 3, 5. The covetous person bows down to the image of gold. His money is his God, for he puts his trust in it. Money is his creator. When he has abundance of wealth, he thinks he is made. It is his redeemer. If he is in any difficulty or trouble, he runs to his money, and that must redeem him. It is his comforter. When he's sad, he counts his money, and with this golden harp he drives away the evil spirit. When you see a covetous person, you may say, There goes an idolater. Covetousness is the cause of unprofitableness despite the methods. In the parable, the thorns choked the seed. Matthew 13 7. This is the reason the word preached does not do more good. The seed often falls among thorns. Thousands of sermons lie buried in earthly hearts. Covetousness is the root of poverty and corruption. It hinders hospitality. A covetous person has a withered hand. He cannot reach it out to clothe or feed those who are in need. The covetous person is so low minded that if his estate may flourish, he is content to let his name lie dead and buried. What a cursed sin greed is! Can he be pure in heart who has such a root of bitterness growing in him? Hebrews 12 15. We may as well say that the wine is pure that is full of sediment, or that the body is pure that is full of a plague. Those hearts are impure that hate what is good and pure. Micah 3 2. And that hate knowledge. Proverbs 1 29. Some things in nature have a strong dislike toward something. The serpent will not come near the boughs of the wild ash. There is a strong dislike in a carnal heart against holiness, and when hatred is boiled up to malice, it is dangerous. Emperor Julian maliciously opposed holiness. Making war against the Persians and receiving a mortal wound through his armor, he threw up a handful of his blood into the air in indignation, saying, You Galilean, have you overcome me? He who criticizes purity 
has an impure heart. There shall come in the last days mockers. Luke 16.14, 2nd Peter 3.3. There are some who mock the Christian religion. They say, These are your holy brethren. It is a sign of an Ishmael spirit to mock holiness. Are we not commanded to be perfect as God is? Matthew 5.48. One would wonder, in regard to those who dare open their mouths in derision against holiness, that the earth does not open its mouth to swallow them up, as it did Korah and Dathan. Numbers 16.32. These are devils covered over with flesh. They have damnation written on their foreheads. Lucian, who in the time of Emperor Trajan had professed to be a Christian, afterward became so profane as to mock the Christians, and by his jeers and insults went about to tear the Christian religion apart. At last he himself was torn apart and devoured by dogs. When the scab of the leper appeared, he was to be shut out of the camp. Leviticus 13, 8, 46. Those who show contempt toward Christianity are certain to be shut out of the camp of heaven if God does not give them repentance. The Signs of a Pure Heart A sincere heart is a pure heart, in whose spirit there is no guile. Psalm 32, 2. There are four characteristics of a sincere hearted Christian. First, those with a sincere heart serve God with the heart. The hypocrite merely makes a show of obedience. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Jeremiah 12, 2. One may still have a fair complexion while the lungs and other internal organs are infected. The hypocrite is pleasant to look at. He has a devout eye but a hollow heart. However, the inside is the best side of those who are sincere. In the law, God wanted the inwards offered up. Leviticus 4.11. A good Christian gives God the inwards. When he prays, his heart prays. Hannah prayed in her heart. 1 Samuel 1.13. In his thanksgiving, the heart is the primary instrument of praise. Psalm 111.1. The sweetest music is when we make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19. Secondly, the sincere Christian serves God with the whole heart. Psalm 119.2. Hypocrites have a double heart. Psalm 12.2. They have a heart for God and a heart for sin. Their heart is divided. Hosea 10.2. God loves a broken heart, but not a divided heart. An upright heart is a whole heart. The full stream and flood of the affections runs out after God. A sincere heart follows God fully. Numbers 14.24. A sincere heart is willing to come under a trial. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Psalm 139.23. That metal is to be suspected that people are afraid to bring to the touchstone. A sound heart likes the touchstone of the Word. It is for a searching ministry. Hypocrites run from the light of truth. They run from the light that would reveal sin. 
They hate that cure of the word that, meeting with their wrong attitude and behavior, begins to make them sick and trouble their conscience. A gracious soul loves that preaching best that examines the heart. Thirdly, a person of sincere heart does not dare to act in the least against his conscience. He is the most noble, yet the most cautious. He is bold in suffering, Proverbs 28, 1, but fearful of sin, Genesis 39, 9. He dares not get wealth by sinful means or rise upon the ruins of another. Jacob got his father's blessing by fraud, but that is not the way to get God's blessing. Fourthly, a sincere heart is a suspicious heart. The hypocrite distrusts others and has charitable thoughts of himself. The sincere Christian has charitable thoughts of others and distrusts himself. He calls himself often to account. Oh, my soul, do you have any evidences for heaven? Are they not to seek when they should be to show? Is there no flaw in your evidences? You may mistake common grace for saving grace. Weeds in the cornfields look like flowers. The foolish virgin's lamps looked as if they had oil in them. Matthew 25. Oh, my soul, is it not so with you? The person who has a sincere soul, being always watchful, plays the critic upon himself, and so covers things in the court of conscience as if he were presently to be brought before God's judgment seat. This is to be pure in heart. A pure heart breathes after purity. If God would stretch out the golden scepter, and say to him, Ask, and it will be given to you, to half the kingdom. Esther 5, 6, Mark 6, 23, he would say, Lord, give me a pure heart. Let my heart have this inscription, Holiness to the Lord. Let my heart be your temple, and dwell in it. Lord, what would I do in heaven with this unholy heart? What conversation could I have with God or angels? A gracious soul is so in love with purity, that he values a pure heart above all blessings. Above riches, he knows he may be clothed in purple and fine linen, yet still go to hell. He is content to be poor as long as he may be pure. He knows heart purity is a special affirmation of God's love. The pure in heart shall see God. Above gifts, gifts do not at all set us apart in God's eye. A pure heart is the jewel. O woman, great is thy faith. Matthew 15:28. It was not her rhetorical language that Christ appreciated, but her faith. Hypocrites have had rare gifts. Saul had the spirit of prophecy. Judas no doubt could make an elegant oration. Hypocrites have come into God's church loaded with the Egyptian gold of human learning. There may be illumination without sanctification. A small diamond is better than a great deal of brass. A little grace excels the most flourishing parts. Now, if the longings of your soul are after holiness, you desire a pure heart rather than an eloquent tongue. You have the oil of the Spirit poured on you, and you will be crowned with a sight of God. A pure heart abhors all sin. A person may refrain from and forsake sin, yet not have a pure heart. He may refrain from sin as one may hold his breath while he dives under water, and then take a breath again. 
A person may refrain from sin due to lack of opportunity. The gunpowder makes no noise until the fire is put to it. The clock stands still until the weights are put on. Let a temptation come, though, which is like hanging on the weights, and the heart goes as quickly in sin as ever. He may refrain from sin for fear of the penalty. A person may refrain from a certain food he loves for fear it would bring his disease upon him of the stone or gout. There is conflict in a sinner between the passions of desire and fear. Desire spurs him on to sin, but fear restrains and hinders him. It's not the crookedness of the serpent he fears, but the bite of the serpent. He may purposefully refrain from sin due to a plan. He has a plot in hand, and his sin might ruin his plot. Some rich heir might run out in excess, but he carries himself in a good way to prevent cutting off the estate. How good was Joash when Jehoiada the priest lived! Prudence as well as conscience may restrain a person from sin. Again, a person may forsake sin, yet not have a pure heart. It is a great matter, I confess, to forsake sin. Sin is so dear to people that they will part with the fruit of their body for the sin of their souls. Sin is the Delilah that charms, and it is significant to see people leave it. This is some civil fruit of the ministry, but there may be forsaking of sin without any purity of heart. Sin may be forsaken upon wrong principles. From morality, moral arguments may suppress sin. I have read of a corrupt heathen who heard Socrates read an ethical lecture about virtue and vice. Although he had come with a purpose to mock Socrates, yet he went away changed and no more followed his former excesses. Cato, Seneca, and Aristides, seeing beauty in virtue, led unblameable lives. From policy, a person may forsake sin not out of respect to God's glory, but for his own purpose. Sin will waste his estate and eclipse the honor of his family. Therefore, out of practicality, he will separate from his sin. And from necessity, perhaps he cannot follow the trade of sin any longer. The adulterer is grown old, the drunkard poor. His heart is towards sin, but either his wallet or his strength fails him. He is as a man who loves hunting, but his prison chains will not permit him to follow the sport. This man, who must put a stop to sin out of necessity, does not so much forsake sin as sin forsakes him. He who abhors sin is pure in God's eye. I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 104. This is excellent indeed, because now the love of sin is crucified. A hypocrite may leave sin, yet love it, just as the serpent sheds its skin, yet keeps its venom. However, when a person can say he abhors sin, then is sin killed in the root. A pure heart abstains from sin just as a person abstains from a certain food of which he has a strong dislike. It is a sign of a new nature when a person hates what he once loved, and because he hates sin he fights against it with the sword of the Spirit, just as someone who hates a serpent seeks its destruction. A pure heart avoids the appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 
A pure heart avoids that which may be interpreted as sin. He who is loyal to his prince not only refrains from having his hand in treason, but he also takes heed to avoid anything that has the appearance of treason. A gracious heart is cautious of that which looks like sin. When Joseph's mistress took hold of him and said, Lie with me, he left his garment in her hand and fled from her. Genesis 39, 12. He avoided the appearance of evil. He did not want to be seen in her company. A pure heart avoids whatever may have a hint of sin in regard to himself and does so in two ways. First, a pure heart avoids whatever may have a hint of sin because the appearance of evil is often an occasion of evil. A man and woman meeting together for amusement or recreation is often an appearance of evil and many times results in sin. If Joseph had been familiar with Potiphar's wife in a flirtatious, sporting manner, he might in time have been drawn to sin with her. Some people, out of novelty and curiosity, have gone to hear Mass, and afterward have lent the idol not only their ear, but also their knee. In our times, are there not many who have gone with itching ears into unbiblical religious company and have come home with the plague in their head? When Dinah was wandering, she lost her chastity. Genesis 34:1-2. A pure heart foresees the danger and avoids the appearance of evil. It's dangerous to go near a hornet's nest. The men who went near the furnace were burned. Daniel 3:22. Second, a pure heart avoids whatever may have a hint of sin because the appearance of evil may overcome his good name. A good name is better than precious ointment. Ecclesiastes 7 1. It is better than great riches. Proverbs 22 1. It commends us to God and angels. Riches cannot do that. A godly person avoids the appearance of evil so he does not wound his good name. What comfort can there be in life when the name lies buried? A pure heart avoids the suspicion of sin out of reverence and respect to the holiness of God. God hates the very appearance of evil. God abhors hypocrites because they have no more than the appearance of good, and He is angry with His children if they have so much as the appearance of evil. A gracious heart knows that God is a jealous God and cannot endure for His people to border upon sin. Therefore, he keeps his distance and will not come near the smell of infection. A pure heart avoids the show of sin in regard for the godly. The appearance of evil may scandalize a weak brother. A person with a gracious heart is not only fearful lest he should defile his own conscience, but also lest he should offend his brother's conscience. Even if it were only a seemingly neutral thing, Yet if it has an appearance of evil and may harm another, we are to avoid it. 1 Corinthians 10.25-28 When ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.12 The weak Christian is a member of Christ. Therefore, sinning against a member is sinning against Christ. 
A pure heart avoids the very appearance of evil in regard for the wicked. The Apostle Paul wants us to walk wisely toward them that are without. 1 Thessalonians 4, 12 The wicked watch for our faltering. How glad they would be of anything that dishonors Christianity. Those who profess to follow Jesus are placed as stars in the highest orb of the church, and if there is only the appearance of any erratic or irregular motion, the wicked would quickly open their mouths with a fresh cry against Christianity. To a godly heart, the fame and honor of the gospel is so dear that he would rather die than discredit or darken it. By this, then, let us test ourselves whether we are pure in heart. Do we avoid the least shadow of sin? How many people run themselves into the occasions of sin? They tempt the devil to tempt them. Some go to dances and plays, the very fuel and temptation to lust. Others frequent misguided meetings, and truly God often in just judgment leaves them to the acts of sin that do not avoid the appearance of sin. They were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. Psalm 106, 35. Pure hearts flee from the occasion. John would not endure the company of Serinthus in the bath, as Nicephorus noted. Polycarp would not meet with Marcion the heretic, but called him the devil's firstborn. Basil says that the Christians in his time avoided the meetings of religious sects as the very schools of error. Avoid the appearance of evil. The Apostle Paul urges us to follow those things that are of good report. Philippians 4, 8. A pure heart performs holy duties in a holy manner. This holy manner, or proper way, consists in three things. 1. Preparing the heart before a duty. An unholy heart doesn't care how it rushes upon a duty. It comes without preparation and goes away without profit. The pure heart is a prepared heart. Before it comes to a duty, it clothes itself by examination and prayer. When the dirt is prepared, it is ready to receive the seed. When the instrument is prepared and tuned, it is ready for music. 2. Watching the heart in a duty. A holy heart labors to be impacted and worked upon. His heart burns within him. There was no sacrifice without fire. A pure saint labors to have his heart broken in a duty. Psalm 51 17. The incense, when it was broken, cast the sweetest savor. Impure souls don't care in what a dead or half-hearted manner they serve God. Ezekiel 33:31. They pray more out of ritual than out of faith. They are no more affected with an ordinance than the tombs of the church. God complains of offering up the blind. Malachi 1:8. Is it not just as bad to offer up the dead? O oh, Christian, ask yourself how this deadness of heart can stand with pureness of heart. Do not dead things rot? And three, outward reverence. Purity of heart will express itself by the reverend gesture of the body, the lifting up of the eyes and hands, uncovering the head, and bending the knees. Emperor Constantine had great reverence for the word. When God gave the law, 
the mount was on fire and trembled. Exodus 19:18. The reason was so that the people might bow themselves more reverently before the Lord. The ark wherein the law was put was carried upon bars so that the Levites would not touch it. Exodus 25, 10-14. This shows what reverence God desires about holy things. Sitting in prayer, unless in case of weakness, and having the hat on in prayer, is a very indecent, irreverent practice. Let those who are guilty correct it. We must not only offer up our souls, but also our bodies. Romans 12, 1. The Lord takes notice what posture and gesture we use in His worship. If a man were to deliver a petition to the king, would he deliver it with his hat on? The careless irreverence of some would make us think that they did not much regard whether God heard them or not. We run from one extreme to another, from superstition to disrespect. Let Christians think of the dreadful majesty of God who is present. How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Genesis 28:17. The blessed angels cover their faces, crying, Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 3. A holy heart will have a holy gesture. A pure heart will have a pure life. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Where there is a good conscience, there will be good behavior. Some thank God that they have good hearts, but their lives are evil. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Proverbs 30, 12. If the stream is corrupt, we may suspect that the springhead is impure. Aaron was called the saint of the Lord. Psalm 106.16. He not only had a holy heart, but there was a golden plate on his forehead on which was written, Holiness to the Lord. Exodus 28.36. Purity must not only be woven into the heart, but must also be engraved upon the life. Grace is most beautiful when it shines abroad with its golden beams. The clock not only has its motion within, but the hand moves without upon the dial. Pureness of heart shows itself upon the dial of the life. A pure soul talks about God. Psalm 37, 30. His heart is seen in his tongue. The Latins call the roof of the mouth caelum, heaven. He who is pure in heart has his mouth full of heaven. A pure soul walks with God. Genesis 6, 9. He is still doing angels' work, praising God and serving God. He lives as Christ did upon earth. Holy duties are the Jacob's ladder by which he is still ascending to heaven. Genesis 28, 12. Purity of heart and life are made twins in Scripture. I will put my spirit within you, that is purity of heart, and cause you to walk in my statutes, that is purity of life. Ezekiel 36, 27. Will we consider those people pure whose conversation is not in heaven, Philippians 3:20, but rather in hell? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights, Micah 6:11? 
How justly may others reproach the Christian religion when they see it kicked down with our unholy feet! A pure heart has a golden covering. Grace, like new wine, will be vented. It can be no more concealed than lost. The saints are called jewels, Malachi 3.17, because of that shining luster they cast in the eyes of others. A pure heart is so in love with purity that nothing can take his focus off it. Even if others reproach purity, he who has a pure heart loves it. As David said when he danced before the ark, and Michal mocked, If this is to be vile, I will yet be more vile. 2 Samuel 6.22 This is what a pure heart says. If to follow after holiness is to be vile, I will yet be more vile. If water is sprinkled upon the fire, it burns even more. The more others deride holiness, the more a gracious soul burns in love and zeal to it. If someone had received an inheritance, would he allow others to laugh him out of it? A Christian is not worse off because of another's reproach. A blind person disparaging a diamond does not make it sparkle any less. Even if others oppose holiness, a pure heart will pursue it. Holiness is the queen every gracious soul is married to, and he will rather die than be divorced. Paul intended to be holy, even though chains and affliction and persecution waited for him. Acts 20.23 The way of the Christian religion is often thorny and bloody, but a gracious heart prefers inward purity before outward peace. I have heard of someone who had a jewel he very much valued. The king sent for his jewel, and he said, Tell the king that I honor his majesty, but I will rather lose my life than part with my jewel. He who is enriched with the jewel of holiness will rather die than part with this jewel. When his honor and riches will do him no good, his holiness will be beneficial to him. Ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Romans 6.22 Let me persuade Christians to heart purity. The harlot wipes her mouth, Proverbs 30.20, but that's not enough. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart, Jeremiah 4.14 I will now provide some arguments or motives to persuade people to heart purity. End of part one.